welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is supported by Tradlands, high quality, sustainably crafted essentials for women inspired by classic menswear. You and I tend to lean on those minimalist items that we can wear for forever, which explains the reason we love them. Founder Sadie Roberts believes that while spending time on how we look and feel is important, keeping things basic can free up our time and energy for other important things, Mm. our relationships, our businesses, our dreams. Another big draw for us is that Tradlands is produced ethically using recycled, high-quality materials. Visit tradlands.com and enter code UPBRINGING15 for 15% off your purchase. Now onto our conversation. Taylor Sterling is the founder and creative director of Glitter Guide, a lifestyle brand that highlights brilliant women's work in design, fashion, and beyond. She's also the co-founder of Tired Dreamers Club, a collaborative gathering series that supports women on their creativity and self-care journey. Taylor is a Bay Area native and mother of kids ages five and two. We love talking to her about the true meaning of self-care and the ways in which we can all work toward feeding instead of depleting the body, mind, and spirit of both ourselves and our children. You know, it really did start with the birth of my daughter and just kind of being hit with this notion of like, I can't, like this new lifestyle that I needed to start to be able to survive. Because before mm-hmm. I had my daughter, you know, I was just kind of like that typical self-employed, you know, running my own business person that was working nonstop. I loved to work. So I would just pour my entire self into my job. And then when my daughter came, I think I was just a little naive thinking that I could kind of maintain that even while watching her. Like I kept her home a lot more in the beginning than I did with my second. And I was, I was really struggling and I was feeling super burnt out. Um, I was feeling like I couldn't be creative anymore. I didn't like my job, but I also was feeling like I didn't like parenting. I was feeling very resentful on both sides, Mm -hmm. just feeling like I couldn't be the best at either one. And it was really frustrating me. And I ended up after a couple of months of that, deciding to send my daughter to full-time care. And then with that, I kind of thought I was going to jump right back into my old schedule, my old lifestyle of working, and then realize soon that it still wasn't going to happen. Um, even with my daughter being in care, like full-time, I just, I needed to have a lot more energy to be able to be a good parent and to be fulfilled myself. And it, it just wasn't happening. So I started to realize I was going to need like a big lifestyle change. And I, I got a business manager and I started doing all these things that I had really needed to do in order to free up some space for myself. And with that, that's kind of when I got the business manager and I started to have things sort of like more organized when it came to work that, you know, I was able to say, okay, I can take like a little bit more time for myself now. I, I feel more secure with work to be able to set some boundaries. And so that's kind of where this process started to kind of unfold. I was, I started to have more of a schedule with work. I started prioritizing myself more than maybe some things that I had done in the past when it came to my work schedule. I I stopped feeling so guilty (laughs) about not always being available. I think too, because I'm the boss, I, I used to feel like, I had to be available to everybody at all times and I had just to be, on call. Yeah. Like on call, always, always working. I ha- felt like I had to set this example that I was like this workaholic, <laughs> like that they wouldn't, um, that they wouldn't have the same respect if they saw that I wasn't working as much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just started to shift that all really, really slowly. Um, and started to see the benefits of actually taking time for myself both parenting and, you know, parenting wise and work wise. And then just recently the tired dreamers club thing was kind of like a beautiful accident. Um, my best friend, um, is a marriage and family therapist and she and I are always texting each other about 
our work ideas and our dreams and things we want to do with our families. And we're always following it up with, oh, but I'm just so busy and I'm just so tired. I'm too depleted to get to that. Um, And so she joked on a text message, oh, we're just two tired dreamers. And then I said, oh, you know, (laughs) we're part of the tired dreamers club. And that was it. And we left it at that for a while. But then that kind of idea started to sort of seep into my mind that like this journey that I had been on was really related to this and that I had really started to notice that when I wasn't taking care of my needs and I wasn't taking time for myself, that it was, and my work is creative. So I started to really see that it was affecting my creativity. Like for example, if I got really depleted and I was really tired, I would start to have a lot of negative self-talk and Mm -hmm. I would say like the ideas that I had for work or projects that were working on would seem so silly or like, I'd be mm-hmm. like, nobody cares. Why am I working so hard? Why mm-hmm. am I doing this to myself? Like, this is all, you know, this is all stupid. Like these are things that I would be telling myself and I'd want to give up. And then like, I would force myself to like go on a walk <laughs> or listen to a podcast or maybe get an early night's sleep the night, you know, after And I would find that like the next morning or after whatever it is that I did that kind of like gave me some rest, um, that those thoughts would be like reduced greatly. (laughs) And so all these pieces started to come together and we were just like, you know, there's this notion that creative artistic type people like have to be really depleted and have to be working at all ends and feeling like, um, they have to pour their whole body into their work. And I just or don't think that that's through it, you know, yeah, like suffering, mm-hmm. all that stuff, I think is related to, you know, creativity and, and the arts. And I just feel like, especially for me, it, that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you just gave us so much to unpack and talk about <laughs> just so many gems, Taylor. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, first of all, I love the idea that there's this expectation. I think that a lot of us experience where, we just think that we're going to have a kid and they're just going to kind of tack onto our whole lives. And, yeah. and like, it's just, it's not going to be that much extra. And I think that it's so awesome that you realized from a really early stage, like, wait, this is really affecting my life in a huge way. This is affecting how I treat my family, my child, and also how it affects my job, how it affects my mental health. I think it's so easy for us to just go, 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 go and be struggling with that conflict between our expectation and then our reality. Um, Yeah. I mean, it took me some time to get there for sure. And I had a lot of like challenging times and I was having a lot of, um, again, like I was beating myself up about a lot of stuff. Um, not liking the way that I was, you know, being as a parent to that. And that was something that I just wasn't expecting, like kind of what you're saying, like you, you know, that it's going to be challenging to be a parent, but you don't necessarily, you know, depending on like, however your situation is, it's just like, there's so many things you aren't going to expect And it just really threw me for a loop. And I remember too, I think my daughter was only just like four or five months old. And I would text again, my, my best friend Cassidy, I would text her and just be like, is it supposed to feel this way? Like, am I supposed to feel so drained and so overwhelmed and just like want to give up on everything? And I didn't have, um, postpartum depression or anything, but it definitely had some of the blues and I had a lot of stress. And I realized that, again, I connected the pieces later on by doing research that like, you know, I'm more introverted and my daughter is very energetic and she requires a lot of energy. And so it was really, that was a big thing too. Juggling her and work was sucking like all the energy out of me. And so without prioritizing some self-care in there, even for just like a moment, um, I was just way too depleted. And so it was affecting everything. Well, I feel like self-care is such a a buzzword right now. Mm -hmm. It's being thrown around a lot. And I think that I would love to hear just some examples of how you define it, because I think it can really easily be this like, oh, these indulgent things like go get a petty or like what, what moms are given to care for themselves. And I think that it can, and I think what I love about Tired Dreamers Club is that you really explore the whole spectrum of what self-care can be and how unique that it is um, for each person. Yeah. Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I would agree. I think that like, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful that self-care is like trending, <laughs> you know, and in getting those mani petties or like drinking green smoothie and all that stuff is, is great. And I think it is a form of self-care, but for me personally, I think it kind of, it comes down to just 
self-awareness, I think, and really listening to my mind and body and soul and like not only listening to it, but then also responding and in a way that's helping whatever it is that I need. So for example, if I'm having a really long day with the kids and I'm feeling like my introvertedness is needing, you know, some attention and I need to have a moment to myself and I know that the kids aren't going to give that to me. You know, maybe it's like doing something that I wouldn't necessarily do with them. Like maybe I turn on the TV for, you know, 15 minutes when I wasn't expecting to and go upstairs and just take a breather, you know, and not feeling guilty about it. It's just like, I need to listen to my body and listen to my mind. and like, what is it telling me? And then if I have an opportunity to create space for it, then making that space for it and stop like pushing it back or saying I can't or, you know, well, all those things. I think it's just... I, for me, self-care is like being very self-aware and respecting those needs when you can, you know? That makes so much sense. And then as far as Kilty and I were talking about how is self-care prevention or is it treatment? So what is that, you know, and <laughs> I think that, or yeah. both, you know, and it sounds like yeah. kind of what you're doing is, 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 is a combination where you're like the self-awareness part is, is leads to prevention where you're like, well, I'm going to prevent myself from burning out right here or yelling or crying or just feeling terrible or having negative thoughts or whatever. So I'm going to go sit in my room for 15 minutes. And then that's the, the actual treatment. You yeah. Know? I think it's, to, I think they totally go hand in hand. It's kind of like a circle. It's like, you know, it's kind of, it's both. And I think, you know, it can be, there are going to be times, I mean, it's, you're never going to be perfect about it. You know, you know, that's like life gets in the way. And I definitely have you know, if my schedule's more busy at work one week, then I just prepare myself and know like, okay, I'm going to have a week where I don't have as much time to carve out for myself. I know I'm going to feel a certain way at the end of the day. Um, and trying to find little moments where I can fit it in. I think that's kind of the key too, is to not put so much pressure on it. Um, like there aren't going to be people who work from home like me who can create a lot more space for it. I think just being really self-aware, listening to yourself, and then finding a tiny moment in the day that you can do something that you know is going to kind of feed whatever it is that's speaking to you. I think that that's just crucial and a good practice to have. And sometimes you'll have much more time and sometimes you won't. I love that though, that it's it's so it's a practice, but it's also yeah. just a mindset. Yeah. And I think that it's that in particular is really difficult for people who are go-getters, who are really... Um, energetic and who are motivated and who are hold themselves to a really high standard. Like I, when Kelty and I both started, when we started working together, we struggled because I was used to like, go, 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 go. And Kelty was like, well, let's take a walk to start the day. And I was like, are you kidding? No, we don't have time to do that. Or like we're having lunch and I'm like on my computer and she's like, Han, why don't I read this part of this book to you? Or, you know, we like eat outside. And I was just like, Kelty, you were like my mindset. You were in efficiency mode. I was, I had been working in, in research in a lab. And so I was literally brainwashed and burnt out. And I, I, that's the way I lived. That was my mindset and my approach. Coach. And I just, I've really come a long way. Can you give me some credit? You have Cal? come okay. a very long way. <laughs> now we walk every day. Mm -hmm. You read while you eat or you talk to me or look around. It's awesome. Or we stop talking, which is really great too. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was a hundred percent that person as well. I think even just, I still am, I think naturally that person. Um, I've just had to really train myself to be the other way. <laughs> and I think that's been something that I've really had to work on because yeah, like I can fall into work mode and like, yeah, efficiency mode really easily and lose track of like taking care of myself or, you know, start falling into bad habits really easily. And so it's, it's this like mindfulness that I'm constantly working on. I think something I wanted to mention too, that doesn't always get talked about a lot is I think sometimes people can hear you talking about, you know, you know, being really mindful, taking care of yourself, all these little things that I'm practicing and think that by doing all this, that everything's going to be better <laughs> in your life. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, like it's nothing's perfect and, you know, you're not going to be able to always respond the way that you want. And also by, by making all these shifts that I have in the last couple of years, doesn't mean that everything has flourished because of it. I think, you know, like I feel better. I think that my family dynamic is better. I feel more energetic, but 
honestly, like my work has actually suffered a little bit. Like it's slower. I ignore a lot more. I say no to more. I don't go to everything. I'm not like in the forefront and things have slowed down. And I, that can be really scary. And it's a very delicate balance that I have to kind of be mindful of and not go too far, like in either direction since it is my own business. But I wouldn't want people to think like, I make all these positive changes and then everything's going to be great. Like it hasn't been. I think what's key for me is learning to, to be okay with that. Like learning to kind of like walk this rope, figure out like what I'm going to do and be okay with that. Sometimes certain things will suffer because of my choices and I have to be okay with that because I'm putting myself first. And so I don't know. It's something that I'm working on. (laughs) Well, just that idea of something's got to give and let's, that thing that needs to give needs to be based on our internal compass and our value system, not an external value system that we grew up with. That's kind of affecting how we prioritize our lives. Yeah. And I think that it sounds like you were practicing this redefining of what is productive, but then along with that comes the necessity to redefine what success is. And, you know, and it's like, we talk about all the time, like if we're a pie, uh, we, we're still only one pie. We have all these different slices and di- basically just shifting the size of each slice. You know right. what I mean? We can't be giving more. We can't be c- becoming bigger just because we're taking on all these extra things that come along with motherhood and being a parent and all this stuff. It's just shifting our energies. And as we shift those energies, it's hard to look at things as you know, something other than just failing. I'm doing worse at this. I'm doing better at this, but it's really just shifting energies and reprioritizing, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's how I try to keep, I try to keep that mindset as well. Sometimes my husband though, even though he's supportive, will joke and be like, you know, we still have to pay all of our bills. You better keep working. And I'm like, I am working. I'm just doing it differently. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. But, yeah. but that, it, that's the thing is it, it, it's something that's invisible. Oftentimes self-care yeah. can seem invisible. It can seem unproductive. It can seem lazy. It is counterintuitive completely. Um, I always like to think, Kelsey and I talk so much about how it's all connected. And so we're talking about this idea of self-care and self-awareness and how I'm interested to see how that trickles down into how you're introducing those things and that those processes with your kids, you know, understanding themselves, thinking "Mm, maybe I should, you know, rest a little more tonight, or maybe I should want to go do this thing, but will I be overwhelmed or tired? Does that kind of awareness that you've been practicing with self-care, is that integrated into how you're parenting your kids? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, like I mentioned before, like it, it really all came about to because of my kids, and so then now it's really helped me to parent in a different way. Like, I, I had, I've really had to shift my mindset too with, with parenting. In that, I think in the beginning I was very reactive, and um, I even though I knew things weren't personal with my kids, I would always. T- I think that my the way I responded felt very personal. Mm-hmm. And like, like, like I'm being attacked, you know, um, like emotionally. And now I just work, I think the key is working so much on myself that like, it actually, um, helps me to like my kids to be less reactive and it helps them to just with all of the things they struggle with by me being so self-aware, working on myself, taking care of myself, watching how I respond, like being more empathetic, like all these things that I'm working on, like, of course, helps me be a better parent and then also helps them. And it's just like this circle, like they've really taught me all of these things and are helping me to continue to grow. And then hopefully I'm doing it for them. And so it's just like, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Positive, like (laughs) snowballing momentum. Absolutely. And you're modeling it and then they're absorbing it and they're integrating it. And then you're seeing that and continue to advocate for yourself and it keeps going and going and going for sure. Yeah. Because with, um, with my first, I think, you know, I just really, I, I struggle with how to say it, but like, I really felt like I didn't do things right for the first couple of years. It's not that I was a bad parent. I just feel like I wasn't aware of all of these things. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of what she needed until things really got really escalated. Um, and I wasn't aware of how I was being, you know, it was all just so reactive all the time. And mm-hmm. now it's being really, really aware and just like, it takes a ton, a ton of work, but you know, it's something that I'm continuing to work on so that I can be a much better parent for, for them. I mean, that 
That makes so much sense to us. I mean, I, we, I think it's just so natural to feel, we've felt at least that we have children and then we're going to kind of help mold and shape who they are. And we'll have some, some measure of control over that. And I think that the, we've had very rude awakenings in our experiences as parents with realizing, holy shit, these yeah. people are, are people, they're humans, they are their very own unique humans. And all of a sudden I have to learn to live with this person that is completely different or very similar to me and has different needs or the same needs. And wow, you know, I I feel like we get together with a partner and we have enough trouble recognizing their uniqueness and reconciling reconciling the differences and working with them, not against them. But with babies and and kids, it's like, they're not trying at all because they're just seeing to their own needs. It's not even like a partner. It's not like we went on 10 dates first and we were like, no, we're (laughs) Yeah. It was no matchmaking, yeah. you know, maybe universal, like spiritual matchmaking yeah. that like we have to figure out on our own or something, but. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know until, I don't remember exactly when it was, when I started to realize that um, my daughter was, was like highly spirited and also, you know, highly sensitive, like a mixture of both of those mm-hmm. things. And a lot of times they're very, I feel like they're really like intertwined those two things. Um I think, you know, I never talk about this kind of stuff online um, just because I feel like, I don't know, I guess I start to worry that like, oh, I'm putting labels on her or people are going to think like, oh, you know, what is she complaining about? And like, just, I don't, you know, I usually just like try not to talk about it, but sometimes I feel like I want to talk about it and I want to tell people what I've learned. And maybe there's some people who are also struggling with this, you know, just because it's not, you know, these challenges that I've had with with my, with my daughter, I I don't, they're really not negative. I mean, I may have seen them as negative at one point, but they're, it's not a huge problem, but it's something that still is really affects your life. And so, um, I feel like I don't feel as nervous about talking about these kind of things anymore. And I feel like I've been able to really reframe a lot with my daughter and I've just done so much work. Um, I, you know, when I started to kind of realize that she was spirited and sensitive, and I also realized that I am also sensitive. Um, I don't know. A lot of pieces started to come together for me. And I just, that it's just like, it's my biggest job. It's just like the thing I work on the most is how I can help her. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an everyday process. Oh, that's just beautiful. Everything you said, I just <laughs> are like, our hearts are exploding over yeah. here a little bit. <laughs> And it's hard sharing these things with other people because we don't want it to be, I mean, we, Hannah and I struggle with this on the podcast as well. We don't want this to be sort of like a suffering, a comparative suffering situation where everyone, you know, other people could be like, well, I have five kids and I'm dealing with that or my child suffers from autism or whatever these things are. But I think that you're right, that there is incredible value in sharing the struggles we go through, whether they're, they fall under kind of a label or classification system or not, because at least for Hannah and me, it's helped us so much being like, oh, that's a thing. Oh, this person's going through that thing as well. And putting words to these feelings or these struggles that we've had. And just broadening and opening our idea about the diversity and and, and the beauty of that diversity in the experience of parenting as parents and uh, in relation to our kids. Because I think we just think, and our society <clears throat> creates this expectation that like parents should be like this right. and kids should be like that. And meanwhile, there's this huge spectrum going on that puts a lot of pressure on us because we're like, oh my God, um, my kid is not conforming to that expectation (laughs) or stereotype. Um, And like, there must be something wrong with me me or with them. Or or with them. Exactly. It's a a really tricky situation. Yeah. I've experienced a lot of that. Um, A lot of people's opinions and like, think I I can definitely get the stares and, and I can get you know, family members even being like, you need to try to do this. Are you being strict enough? Are you setting these boundaries? You know? And I'm like, okay, you know, I know what my daughter responds to and what she doesn't respond to. And I've tried them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, so uh, yeah. for, for, there may be people listening who, who do not have highly sensitive or highly spirited kids um, yeah. or two of them. Kelty has two of them. Um, and, you know, and they may be like, what, what are you talking what does about? That mean? What? Well, yeah. Aren't so they just little brats. <laughs> and I mean, the, the, the difference here, you know, Kelty and I really like to try to separate behavior from personality or behavior from self, but 
part of the temperament that highly sensitive kids have comes out in these behaviors that people see. So can you describe some of the the expressions of, of, of those characteristics? Yeah, I think one thing is just in general that my husband and I sometimes say, and this is, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean pos- positive or negative, but my daughter is just, she's just more, like she's more of everything. Um, you know, like she's got more energy, more passion, more resilience, more de- determination. She also has a lot more you know, sensitivity to all things emotionally. And also she's very sensitive to, um, her clothing and she has a lot of sensory sensitivities. Um, she's very impulsive and she, she's super creative. I mean, there's like a mixture of things. Um, I think with sometimes spirited kids, it's, I'm really happy that they have the word spirited because it did help. I think that before people would see a spirited kid and think that, the kid is kind of more difficult, you know, like a, bad um, like a negative. Um, and again, even my husband and I have had to, in the more challenging times, really watch the way that he and I were even talking about her just to mm-hmm. ourselves. We would mm-hmm. find them when we were really frustrated that we would be saying things like, Oh, she's, she's so hard. And she's, she's, you know, she's so bossy or she's so this. And we'd say these things that would like, even though we were just saying it in the moment would like later on, I feel like, affect the way we were viewing her in certain mm-hmm. moments. And so now we've really been able to, especially in like the last two years, we've become a lot more aware, like really separate it from that again and see like, no, you know, she, even though she's very like determined, it's a, it's a good quality about her. It might yeah. sometimes be something that can be challenging to parent in certain situations, but not getting so hard on her about that trait and just realizing that like sometimes I also have to learn when to like let her kind of express that more. And when there are other times when maybe I need to help her, um, things What's like an that. Example of that? Yeah, give um, us an example. Well, okay. Just like, this isn't necessarily about like, you know, being persistent, persistent, but she also has these, like, she does things all the time that are very creative and fun. But as a parent, sometimes when you're like on a routine and you're in the schedule and you want to get out of the house, you know, like it can be really challenging. Um, like a small example would be like even this morning, she went around and took all the different toothbrushes throughout all the houses and set, and set them in different areas, creating these like little play areas with all the toothpaste and toothbrushes. <laughs> this is like some, not a big deal, but like, you know, uh, sometimes I could be like, oh gosh, like, can you just leave her toothbrushes alone and stop putting them all over the house? But instead this morning, I just thought she's so creative and she comes up with these things. So I'm going to let her do it, you know? Um, or like the harder parts are her sensory issues with clothes. Like that's been a really, really challenging thing for us. Um, and so what do you mean by sensory issues with clothes? So she has, she has pretty much every sensitivity you could have in terms of the way clothes feel or really the way anything feels against her body. So for example, right now, if her bangs are touching her face in a certain way, it's really bothersome for her so that they have to be pulled back in a certain way or the tags on clothes or the zippers on clothes or the seams, like she, the sh- you know, the way her shoes fit, the way the socks fit. <clears throat> when she was younger, it was a little more isolated. Like it used to just be like the shoes or then it was like her, um, the zipper. And so I was able to kind of work around it a little bit, but right now it's kind of everything. So I've had to get really creative. I've had to try to figure out how we can get her dressed and it's ever changing. So it's something that I think I've had to work on personally a lot more um, in how I react to it and being more okay, just knowing that like, she doesn't want to be this way. She doesn't want to have to feel sensitive to clothes, but she is. And that's her reality. And I need to respect that. And I need to help her in any way that I can and be empathetic to her, less frustrated about trying to get out of the house and letting her, you know, letting her try it. So like the other day, like letting her try on 20 things before we get out of the house. It can't work every morning, but there are times when I do let it happen just so she can work it out. And I just stand there and I'm there to help if she needs it. You know, um, it's just been a really long process to get to this. Um, but I mean, yeah. but her, her high sensitivity and <clears throat> spirit has allowed you to, and pushed you. It, it was kind of a catalyst to maybe help you realize sooner than you normally would that your kid is <clears throat> uniquely human and a, an individual person. And that, who they are isn't going to change. Who they right. are is, is should be as you accept them, as you see them, and that you're just there to help support those things so that those traits 
um, the way you look and, and deal with those traits are the way that they're going to be looking and dealing with those traits as they grow to be an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. So like, you, do you want her to be frustrated at herself when she is dealing with something or feel shameful or right. try to hide those parts of herself? They're not going to go away. Those are, those are temperamental things, you know? Like you're, you're supporting her so much. It's amazing. Well, and I've noticed through experience that the more resistance, you know, or pushing that we've done in terms of like stuff like that, then the more sensitive she gets and the more slower she's going to be about getting dressed. And so, you know, me reacting only makes things worse. And as hard as that can be sometimes, you know, to not react, that's been one of my biggest growth, I think, experiences over the last couple of years is like really watching myself. You know, and sometimes if I really feel like I, I can't not react, um, then I have to just walk out of the room, you know, Mm -hmm. just have to leave the room. And that's, you know, that sometimes works. (laughs) Well, I think this is, at least this is how it's been for me with my two kids as well is I've been through it enough times where I realized that me pouring acid on it is doing like acid on acid, just making it worse. Oh yeah. So I've developed a, like a knee jerk reaction to not do it because I'm so scared of what will happen. That always like more often than not trumps my, you know, frustration level or my inability to cope with whatever it is. I feel Um, too. Like if I, if I feel that I'm being really triggered by it, cause I do easily, I think because, um, I've taken more of the responsibility of like helping her get out of the house than my husband. But sometimes if I feel like I'm not, I can't handle it. I just can't, for whatever reason, I can't handle it. Then I'll just be like, you're, you're stepping in, step in. (laughs) You need to be Um, subbed. I just keep thinking about, um, like, I mean, basically you guys are having to share your power so much sooner with your children because they're highly Mm -hmm. sensitive. Yeah, that's what I talk about all the time. It's forced us to be more respectful. We have friends who they dominate their kids, and the kids are like, "Okay, no problem." I know, and that works for them. And you're just like, "Oh my god!" Like, if if Kelty tried that with her kids, like, do you have any idea what would happen? And I get those same comments that you get, or stares, or comments from family members, like, "Just tell them how it is," or "Just lay down that boundary and don't budge." And I'm like, "She cannot budge a thousand times longer than me." Like, she's hundred percent. I think one thing that's been a little bit of a relief too is, you know, I think both my kids um, have a spiritedness to them, but my son is just a lot, a little bit more easygoing, a little bit um, like he's, he's more sensitive to like, if you, if you do get upset with him, he, he is more like apt to cry and say sorry and things where my daughter would be like, I'm going to fight you to the death, you know? <laughs> um, and so we have noticed that like, it's not necessarily our parenting. I mean, I, I 100% feel like I have improved in my parenting. But like just from the get-go, my kids have different temperaments and it's not all my fault, you know. Mm. Um, I think it helped me realize like I don't need to beat myself up all the time. This is just who they are and I just have to know how to respond to them. Um, And that's something that has taken me a long time to get to. Um, But that I think also like if I think if I had, you know, not to say you need to have more than one kid for sure, but like having two kids helped me with that a little bit, you know. Last week we were talking with Allison Mazarek about the same exact thing. And she had a more spirited first kid. And having that second one was a wake up call to her that it wasn't her. It wasn't her fault. He needed to move more. He needed to emote more. He needed to, you know, do all that. But I think it's so interesting that you're, you were talking earlier about developing your own sense of awareness for the things that you need, anticipating Um, the ways in which you can support yourself and care for yourself. And you have the opportunity to do that at a way higher level with your kids. I'm looking at it like an opportunity right now. I know it doesn't always feel that way, (laughs) but that's part of the whole circle thing is you're able to say, okay, getting out the door is not going to be the easy process, you know, for me and for my daughter, like it is. So what are the things we can do to set her up for success? Talking about it earlier, um, laying out different options, talking through the process, supporting their emotions, you know, it, all of the, I feel like all of the hard work that we do are, is also practice in basic life skills that, you know, these very happy parents with really, you know, like easygoing easygoing (laughs) kids maybe aren't getting that same practice. Yeah. I mean, and I also, like you were talking about, like sharing the power, right? Like relinquishing control. You know, I have two wonderful parents, very supportive, um, like amazing. However, I still had a very different upbringing. There was a lot more control. It's a lot more of like, just like the typical, I feel like 
parenting style that you see very control based. And, um, and that sometimes comes out of me. And I think it's just also natural for a human to want, like, especially if you have young kids, you want to, you want to help mold them and share like what you think would be great. Right. And like, even with the dressing part, I think, um, more recently, I, you know, I haven't always had success with this, but, um, you know, she's almost six. So she decided that she, you know, let's, we're going to go online and we're going to, um, pick out a bunch of stuff that you would be really excited to wear to school. Um, and so we just recently did that and she picked out a bunch of stuff and I was just there to kind of be like, you know, that might, that seam might bother you. This has an itchy skirt, you know, and she was really responsive to that stuff. And so she picked out a couple things for school. She was so excited for them to come in the mail. And thankfully she has loved wearing them for the past two weeks. So it was a win this time so far. Um, you know, it's hard for me because they aren't necessarily things I would want her to wear. Um, mm-hmm. They they aren't from stores that I necessarily want to support. You know, my my standards and the things that I would like for my family. You know, I think that it's just like letting go of some of that. Just being like, okay, maybe I wouldn't necessarily put her in this or want to buy these types of things. But if this is going to help her and be something that like makes our life a little easier, then I just need to let some stuff go. You know? Right. And she's already asserting herself as her own person saying, yeah. I'm going to wear that really ugly pair of pants because <laughs> I love them. And you have to, you're saying, yes, you are your own person and you love those ugly pants. And it's killing me inside a yeah. little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, but we're, we're going to make it happen. Like you're growing as she's growing. It's amazing. I know. I do sometimes get envious though of, the, of those, you know, families you see like wearing like very all beautiful, you know, hand dyed sustainable fabric, like yeah. just like all look wonderfully like matched together. And you're like, Oh, that looks really lovely. My kids are just like, no. <laughs> no. And I think something, I don't know, Kelty, you tell me if this is a, a trait of highly sensitive um, kids is that they, they, you know, once something works for them, they really want to stick to that. And so, you know, for example, your daughter had those pants that were like, she had butt crack on them. Like they were too (laughs) small. They had, they were like soft velvet and she really liked (laughs) I think the feel of them. And they had like a hole in the knee and she would wear them every single day. Whereas, you know, my daughter was wearing something different every day. And then she would change before she went to school. That was her kind of sensitivity was like the way things kind of looked and wanting things to look a certain way. It had to be matching. Um, it had to tie in the right places. It had to. It had to be new every day. She couldn't mm-hmm. wear the same thing every day. Right. And then yours was uh, your daughter was the complete opposite. Where she had to wear the same thing. Where it's like you had to dig around and find whatever it was, or mm-hmm. had to wash it because it was like there was poop on it or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was like form versus function sensitivity wise. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but that's the, the idea is that you know, like we started talking about at the beginning this is a spectrum of traits and every kid is so unique and, and we have to kind of find ways to honor that and, and laugh about it too. Like, yeah, yeah right now. I actually, I wanted to ask you guys if you've experienced this with the whole, you know, being, cause this is, you know, I would say we're doing more and more and more of the style of parenting over the last like year or so being like much more empathetic and we're, we're reflecting back her feelings, you know, um, and, and I think it's great. I think overall it is working if she, you know, like for example, she, you know, she has to hold in a lot when she's at school all day. Right. And so I know every day when I'm picking her up after school, that there is a good chance I'm going to get like an emotional like thunderstorm. Um, and recently kind of had that. And again, I think it's that awareness. Like I know it's probably going to happen. I can't take it personally. She needs to let off steam. Like I'm the person she feels safest with you know, but like, so she's having these really big emotional outbursts and I'm, I'm, I'm putting all my stuff into practice, right. And like trying, it feels, and I have to say, it always feels really awkward. I think sometimes when somebody is like really emotionally, like volatile with you and you're trying to be really like empathetic and calm, it can feel a little bit weird. And I, I think, I think I'm starting to, to struggle with a little and I have to work through is, um, I think cause my daughter is just, she's so smart and she's just so like, I don't know. She, She's just like, when I reflect things back to her, I say things, she kind of is like, stop doing that. (laughs) She's like, why are you talking like that? You know? Mm -hmm. And maybe she's not used to it or it's something we have to like work through. Like if I tell her, I think you need to just take a deep breath. She'll be like, I am not taking a deep breath right now. What are you talking about? You know? And so that's something that 
is new for us that I'm navigating that I'm not quite sure how to handle. Yeah. But sure. yeah, I think that that part of the spirited <laughs> aspect of it is that I think if, if our children were just sensitive, they're more on the spectrum of crying Mine and wanting that. Sensitive. Hannah's, yeah. Hannah's want that support. They want that input. They want to hear your all your ideas to help them make to feel better. And my daughter is like, if she catches a whiff of agenda or you're suggesting anything, it's stop talking. Don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, just the anger feelings are so much harder to, to support around. Um, I don't know when, Mirror my, neurons, baby. I know. My well, my <laughs> daughter holds it together all day at school too. Recently, we got this report back, and and I was like, does she ever cry? Is she ever upset and frustrated? Because it's like a hundred times a day, basically, when I'm with her. Yeah. And then at school, she, and they were like, no, she's our, she's like the most helpful student. She's never emotional or resistant. But, but or... I come to pick her up, and she runs across the playground and like punches me in the stomach. Like <laughs> exactly. So ready I'm with you. But I think that I think the, the approach that you've taken with her, Kelty, is is really just listening more and speaking less and realizing the power of your presence that she doesn't need you to do anything or say anything. She just needs you to exude empathy. And yes. I think that that's like it's a super skill for sure. Yes. And it's so hard because it makes us feel helpless where we're like, I'm not doing anything. Or resentful you know? because you feel like a, a doormat. They're just dumping totally. on you. Totally. That's something that I had to get so over. Hard. Yeah, because yeah, you feel like I think too, growing up and you're in this like win lose situation a lot with when you're fighting, you know, um, to, to take that like more empathetic, just like calm stance. I, you, you, you do, you start like, you feel a little resentful sometimes. You're like, wait, why am I letting them like walk all over me? But, but I have to a, again remember it's not, she's a child. That's a fake <laughs> role in our society of a winner yeah. and a loser. And if you're yeah. passive, then that's bad. If you're receptive, that's bad. You have to be aggressive. You have to be on top. And that's what's so counterintuitive about having a spirited or um, sensitive kid is that that role seems to get reversed so often. Mm -hmm. But I I think the idea is changing our mindset to be this idea of, of that's a power that you have by sitting there and listening and nodding. Kelty, yeah. you do a lot of nodding. I do. Yep. With a pleasant expression on your face. You breathe instead of telling her to breathe. I would just take the deep breath. You would just take the deep breath. Okay. That's good. <laughs> and then I think talking about her with her in those moments later when she's calm, you know, circling back when she's receptive right. and talking about it, like let's pretend, you know, we know how in summer there's no rain and everything gets dry. And then the, we need the rain to come to, to give everything water again or finding some sort of metaphor where you're yeah. like, at the end of the day, it, there's been no rain all day and it's in your body and it needs to come out. And so you let it out. And I'm always here for you to let that out so that you can feel better again. You know, so the flowers can grow basically. Yeah. That's also, that reminds me of something else that I am, both my husband and I have gotten a lot more comfortable with Um in that letting them just release a lot more. And like when we were new parents, you know, being so afraid of those meltdowns that we would just have all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. Not us, but like the kids would have all the time. Maybe we had them too. But like being really afraid of them, feeling really judged by the meltdowns. Um, And now like I kind of just embrace them. I don't feel embarrassed about them in public at all anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, it just is what it is. You know what I mean? And maybe that also comes with just being older. Like, I don't know, like the last couple of years, I'm just like, I just don't care. Like, you know, and I'm also that parent too, who's just like very, I am sympathetic to other parents when that happens to them. And so it just doesn't bother me that much anymore. And I feel like it's good for the kids, you know, to just like let it out as long as they're not hurting other people or throwing things at people, you know? I always, when, when my kids are losing it in public, I always try to imagine that the people watching go through that silently and, and are actually liberated and inspired by seeing somebody calmly and lovingly handle it and not like drag their kid out like red faced and shove them in a car and freaking out. And that's probably not always the case. I'm sure there are a lot of more judgmental eyes as well, but I like to imagine that they're all being like, Oh wow. Okay. I can do that too. And it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And when we see other parents, I'm, I like get a little creepy where I I want to, I like, get a little closer somehow, you know, my shopping cart or whatever. And I nod and look like, wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I wanted that cereal. Cause I'm just like, so I want that parent to know it's okay. It's I know. Really Cause it's like, we've gotten to that other side and now we can see it. And it's like, we're liberated by this acceptance of who they are and how they feel. Totally. You know? <laughs> it feels good being on the other side yeah. of that. 
Um, did you have an empowerment that you wanted to talk about today? Oh my gosh. Well, I, every time I look at all your guys' empowerment, I love every single one of them. You guys, this is going to be funny. I mean, I, I feel like you guys are speaking to me when I listen to this podcast because it's just been really helpful. And I, you guys have been connecting with me on so many things that I have been working on over the last like six years. So it's just so great. I even wrote down some of your stuff. I have a sign in my kitchen with some of your stuff on it. That's oh, You have like, to send us a picture because I want to know what it is. We'll make okay. <laughs> but it's just such helpful reminders. It was, it's so hard to pick one of them. I think the one that just like relates to me right now so much, is just the, the, we look inward. Mm. It's just like, cause it just, if it, it affects everything, you know, by, by working on ourselves, you know, yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think it ties into the self care in, you know, I think I've been unpacking so much over this, like this journey too, like things that I, you know, they're not all easy to become aware of, but, you know, looking at stuff in my own childhood and other relationships and again, my work relationship, like, it's like, I was, this is going to, again, sound really funny. My husband, I was having this like revelation the other night, <laughs> just telling my husband, I'm like, it's all connected. It's just all connected. And he's like, are you high? What is going on with you? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm having a moment. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what, about what was all connected? I don't know. I, maybe I was being crazy, but I was just thinking about all these pieces like coming together that I have been going through with this, like, you know, with Tired Dreamers Club and the work on my daughter and then this like other kind of family relationship stuff I'm working on right now. Um, I'm not even in therapy, but this is like my own personal therapy that I put myself through just all the readings and the unpacking that I've been doing and just seeing that like, I don't know. It just like seems like this circle. I can't quite explain it, (laughs) but each thing like unpacks another thing and then I'm able to work on it. And it's kind of all connected in this weird, this way. Um, and it makes sense in my head, but I don't know if it makes sense to other people. (laughs) It absolutely makes sense. It's, I think it's, and when we talked about it being all connected on the podcast early in our first season, it was so much about just breaking down these walls, breaking down these expectations, breaking down these labels and bringing it all in, letting, letting it all flow together saying, this is me as a mom. This is me as a coworker. This is me as a partner. This is me as a human being. This is how I want to act to myself. This is how I want to then act to my partner, my child, my whoever. And, and, yeah, I don't know how else to describe but it. But connected, it's a it's, it's a connected, connected circle. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that you guys did say that. Yeah, it's just it's hard to explain, but yeah, it is. It's really connected, and I feel like you know, thank you know, thankfully, like my children like brought this all out. You know, as as hard as a lot of it has seemed in the moment, like when I step back and look, I'm like, no, I'm really grateful that I could be doing all of this work. That was fun. That was really, really fun. Taylor is incredible. Yeah. I I think we haven't talked that much about parenting in any of these conversations that we've had, and it was really a good time for me. And it felt good connecting with someone who has a sensitive, spirited kid like, like I do. Mm-hmm. I love how we kind of ended up integrating the themes of self-care and parenting. Um, I mean, really, when you think about it, they have so much in common. Yeah. I think that that she talked about how mindset and awareness are everything. And I do believe that that's how it is with both thinking about our self-care and our parenting. It's not about how much money you have or how much time you're spending with your kid. It's about the quality more than the quantity. It's about that intention setting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, self-care doesn't have to be getting petties or spending money on wine. It can just be going into the other room and having that awareness mm-hmm. of when when you're starting to get pushed beyond. Yeah. And the same thing with our kids. You know, think considering their their sensitivities, considering their personalities. Um, that doesn't cost money. It's not about spending more time with them. It's not asking more of you. It's just asking better of us mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah. And I, I, she brought up the martyr complex of mm-hmm. being a creative and a self-employed person, and and that connect so much to me to parenting as well. Yeah. Yeah, It's so easy to just say, what? I don't have the time or the luxury to, or the privilege to, to do this self-care thing, like you said, or to be reading about my parenting or being more aware, choosing my words or any of these things. And, and I think we would maintain that we, we do 
have that opportunity mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not about necessarily more time or more money or anything logistical necessarily. It's really just about doing that inner work. Yeah. That, you know, I like that she described self-care as a self-awareness and that it's about listening to her body, mind and soul and responding instead of reacting. And that yeah. is just, that kind of summarizes what we're trying to do in our parenting so much, mm-hmm. you know, just listening and connecting with that person instead of just reacting or taking personally what we see and hear, mm-hmm. you know, feeding that um, interaction instead of depleting it, feeding our kids authentic spirit, however ugly it may be, instead of depleting it, mm-hmm. like she said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, an episode like this, I hope everybody listens to whether they have a sensitive or spirited kid or not. I think it's absolutely applicable to everybody mm-hmm. where in a, in a parenting context, they may be a little more as Taylor said, or more extreme, but all children are on a spectrum as far as this goes. And if anything, I think it's almost more just as if not more important for easygoing uh, parents of easygoing kids to be thinking about this because it's so easy to overwield our control. Mm-hmm. High spirited, highly sensitive kids will really respond more strongly and push back to over being over controlled. Yeah. You know, they advocate for themselves. They force you to bend and negotiate, respect them, respond. They they demand that respect yeah. more. I think about that. And sometimes. all children need to be treated in a sensitive thoughtful way, whether or not they are highly sensitive or not. Yeah. I think about that sometimes when I'm with your kids, Hannah, because I'll say something like, Hey, okay, it's time to get our shoes put on. And if they don't say, okay, and do it, then they'll be like, no, I'm doing this still. So I say something like, yeah, that looks really fun, but we actually need to get shoes on. Cause we're going to go, going to go here and they go, okay. And I'm just like, Whoa, that was so easy. And, yeah. and I get like drunk with power in that moment mm. being like, gosh, I could, I could tell them to do anything. Also, will you go clean that thing up they'll probably do it if I ask Mm -hmm. also will you you know makes me think though yeah and we can get into the culture but how wow how it makes you it explains why our culture prizes docility and conformity and um goodness goodness and easygoingness oh on the airplane your kid was so good they just sat there quietly that in women and and expect that of people because that's easier it's easier to control people who are like that and yeah well historically think about it it's like we're not raising kids who are working on the line at the factory or who are in an army where we need to be controlling the you know and overseeing and keeping everything the same and balanced right but that's where it came from sure as a way to an institutionalized way of controlling people is getting them to all be the same and have the same expectations for everyone and not treat anybody uniquely yeah that's our the culture we're working with here and that is a huge part of the culture in parenting if you ask me yeah. is that we have these expectations then all of a sudden like we you know become a parent or extra we become a parent of a highly spirited or highly sensitive child or, or two or two and what goes through your mind kel when you know well yeah i wanted to talk a little what, bit about how this is the because, culture speaking through you well taylor talked about how she's had to do a lot of reframing and we didn't really get into it with her what that meant but I get these, you know, impulses when my kids are being challenging. They're pushing back about everything, or they're sensitive about the tag and the toe seam, and these pants are too wiggly the and touching. Yeah, or don't look at me that way, or whatever it is. Yeah. And in my mind, I, there's this laundry list of things: spoiled, stubborn, selfish, entitled, overreacting, standoffish, weak, high maintenance. Mm-hmm. These are the words that go through my mind, and I'm sure. All, all parents to some degree feel mm-hmm. these things about their kids. And I think what I've been trying Are those to, your real thoughts, Kelsey, and your real beliefs about your child? How, do they serve you? Do they serve Absolutely your kid? not. I've been trying the to replace them when they pop into my head. I try to replace them with they're being so human instead of being so spoiled, being so entitled, yeah. being so high maintenance. That's what I want to say. And I can confess that to my husband or to you later and say, mm-hmm. oh my God, she was being so bratty. Yeah. And I can yeah. talk Speaking about that. culturally and yeah. reacting emotionally through this cultural conditioning. That's how I was feeling. And that's why we're reacting because we're our infrastructure and our whole place of context is from this culture that says, do not speak out. Do not advocate for yourself. 
do not, not be different. push back against do authority. Do not push back against authority. And that's what, guess what? Our kids do every freaking day. So that's why it's so uncomfortable yeah. for us as parents to but be in, dealing with it. But this. in terms of reframing and rewriting those, other than saying human, I've had to, and we all have to, like we talk about a lot of upbringing, rewrite these words and be thinking about how these characteristics, these traits, these aspects of a child's temperament are when nurtured and when supported and when seen not as bad, but as good, Mm -hmm. able to become these other things. They're not just spoiled, bratty, entitled, stubborn, standoffish, weak. They're discerning. They're authentic. They're observant. They're self-knowing. They're persistent and thoughtful, Mm -hmm. you know? But I think that people could be like, well, you're just choosing to see the glasses full instead of as half empty. These are some rosy glasses you girls are looking through. What's the why? Why would I actually want to do this? And so I have a few thoughts on that. I think number one, it's the right thing to do, treating them as a human and seeking to see the best in the people in our lives and everyone for that matter. Um, is just, that's the right thing to do. But it also plays into the whole idea that when we see the best in people and believe that they're doing the best they can, we feel better, just generally speaking, and we typically do better. We respond better and engage better with that person. And then in turn, that person can typically begin to feel better and do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we're in a relationship with that, that child, our connection can stay stronger, which you know it's hard to see sometimes because the, the highly sensitive, highly spirited will continue to have that meltdown. Mm-hmm. They'll continue to have whatever it is. Sometimes you wonder, you've mentioned Kelly, you're like, is this getting through? Is she seeing and feeling and understanding the effort that I'm putting into to honor her uniqueness and her experience? Yeah. I, it's know? just a huge trust fall. And yeah. I know it's the right thing to do, but you but, don't always see those results. I don't see her circle back and say, Mom, thank you so much for just being by my side. I really needed someone right then. She's five years old. Yeah. We're going to get there. Yeah, but it, it is a huge leap of trust. But I think the biggest thing that you and I talk about, Kelty, with this is that in our culture, we believe that if it doesn't, if a behavior doesn't conform, if we don't like the behavior, if we don't whatever, then it's our job to discourage it or extinguish it. But in these, when you really think about it, behaviors are an extension of an inner experience or personality trait in our children. And the, the conflict of interest here is that when we're extinguishing and minimizing and discouraging these things that they're doing, thinking that that's good, we're going to show them how to behave in the world, we're going to be promoting better things, that's actually squashing a huge part. It's limiting a huge part of who they are, right? Yeah. And the idea behind this is that we don't want them to be discouraging and separating from themselves as adults. We want fully integrated whole kids, right? Yeah. You talk about inner voice a lot. Kel. I do. Really I really like to talk about I, that. I believe, and the more we read that supports this, that, that the way that we speak to our kids, the way that we act towards our kids becomes their inner voice and the way that they they you know, judge themselves or support themselves. And others. And, yeah. and, the, and in others as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that we talk about, oh, why do I have such negative self-talk? Why am I beating myself up about that? Why do you think? You yeah. know, it's our culture and our upbringing. We're like, sorry, mom and dad. Literally, you know, <laughs> no. it, has, it has conditioned us to be thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm a terrible person. Oh, I shouldn't let my freak flag fly about this because it could be embarrassing. Basically, the way we respond to our kids in these moments it is conditioning them to respond to themselves. Are they going to respond to themselves with curiosity and unconditional love and thoughtfulness and self-awareness? Or are they going to have had such negative experiences with us and other people growing up that they disassociate a huge part of themselves? But I think that that's the kind of underlying gift of this as well is that through this process, we can heal our own wounds mm-hmm. and cracks as we're working to support all the flavors and all, and all of these uh, traits and personality things and, and points of view and ways of living that our kids are doing. We're able to then turn that on ourselves and say, don't feel ashamed of that. Don't feel like a bad person for mm-hmm. that. Don't feel like a piece of crap for that. We can turn that lens onto ourselves as well to heal. Yeah. I it's think that's cool. why it's so uncomfortable because yeah. we look at our children and we're like, why should I be loving you unconditionally when I'm so hard on myself and I was maybe not loved unconditionally? This yeah. doesn't really feel fair. Talk about martyr complex. Yeah. But as you say, Kelty, that is the beauty of this process of, and you know, as Taylor said, this isn't a, 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 a practice of perfection. This is a practice of progress, little mm-hmm. by little, that as we're leaning in and supporting them 
as a human and wholeheartedly and unconditionally, we're learning to, to do that for ourselves, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. But I think it, we talk about this sort of hypocrisy all the time where we're like, wow, we want our kids to be disruptors and innovators and totally authentic spirits who stick it to the man. And then, but right now as kids don't do any of that guys. And I love, I was reading this book, the highly sensitive child by Elaine Aaron. It's really, really great. Whether you have a highly sensitive child or not, but her main motto of the book is to have an exceptional child. You must be willing to have an exceptional child. Mm. as in embrace all of those things that you really want for them right now. Mm-hmm. You have, you have to, you got to lean in. You got to accept it all for what it is. If you want them it to be di- kind of funky it's, and ugly yeah. and hard now, but if you want them to be unique and different and connected to who they are and a trailblazer and um, all these wonderful things, our work is right this moment and accepting those things and, and nurturing them and working with them, not against them. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not saying like, Oh, let your kid be totally crazy and dysregulated all the time. We're saying lean in, do the four powers, basically, you know, yeah. respect them, connect with them in all those ways, innovate with them, trust in them, build that relationship, you yeah. know, that they can have with themselves and with other people someday. Yeah. I like how Taylor also mentioned the whole like social acceptability thing like we did as well, where we're not just worried about our children and their behaviors and their emotions and their things, but then we take them to public places and they have these meltdowns Mm -hmm. or they, you know, have a thing with a kid at the park or whatever happens. And I think what is so cool about talking with Taylor about this is that we can change the tides of what is socially acceptable. We have that power. Mm-hmm. Taylor getting on this podcast, talking about her kids and how they challenge her and how she's growing up from it is is changing that. Changing the culture. It yeah. is. And then going out in public and responding in ways that are more respectful and thoughtful and connected. Mm-hmm. And then raising a kid who is going to look with non-judgmental connection at themselves and with others. You know, that's a lot of, of really amazing work that we're all doing. It's a, a pretty big opportunity. Yeah. You know, I feel like it really matches up with our whole, you know, challenges or opportunities, hard stuff's the good stuff, you know, let's thrive, not survive, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think we've, we, I mean, we've all grown as parents, all of us talking and listening right now have grown up through these challenges with our kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I we're not growing be, despite them. We're growing because, because of them. Of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Han, would you read a little excerpt from the highly sensitive child for us? Sure. Um, I mean, I think that something you've mentioned to me, Kel, has been, is my daughter going to be happy? And my daughter and son, are they struggle through so many things that seem very easy to people and they, they labor over it and they toil and watching they torture them, themselves. Yeah, watching them suffer over these things is really difficult, not just in the moment, but I think that sometimes it makes us think like, are they going to be suffering their whole lives because they feel very strongly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like this part from the highly sensitive child. It said, do you have any lingering concern that your child may find it difficult to be truly happy or successful? If so, stop worrying. Many highly sensitive people have told me that they believe they feel far more joy and contentment, far more deeply than others. And a host of them are prominent professors, judges, doctors, research scientists, widely published authors, famous artists, and renowned musicians. Yes, your child will be more aware of the problems and the pain in the world, but perhaps the best definition of happiness came from Aristotle. We are happiest than when doing what by nature we were born to do best the born dancer is happiest dancing not quite as happy when baking pies the born gardener is happiest gardening not quite so happy trying to write poetry but one thing all humans were born to do by nature is simply to be aware fully aware in that sense highly um, sensitive children are superb humans being superb at what they do best by nature provides them with this highest form of happiness even when in their case, it may also bring a greater awareness of suffering and loss. You will be part of their, of their working through the consequences of this awareness, which means your life too will be deepened. Visit glitterguide.com to learn more about Taylor's beautiful work. You can find her on Instagram at Taylor Sterling and at Tired Dreamers Club. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation with Taylor. So please DM, call, email, contact us through our website, upbringing.co and subscribe, rate, and review us so other people can find us. Plus, I feel like we should also say, get in touch anytime so that we can tell you why the hard stuff is the good stuff. Mm. Why something your kid is doing 
is actually absolutely valuable and worthy and is an opportunity. Can we flip that behavior, that obnoxious trait, that, that worry wart feeling into something productive for you and for them? Okay. Lastly, you are doing an amazing job. We are so proud of you and we're right here with you taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time. And now for the lullaby by portion of our show, created in the hopes of inspiring us all to personalize our song singing experience with our kids. Mm-hmm. We're singing the songs we like to sing. They're going to grow to like them eventually. That's kind of the deal, right? Yeah. And then maybe someday they'll sing to us. Yeah. Well, I find that my kids actually like a lot of the songs that I choose myself because I end up telling them a story like, can I tell you why I want to sing this? And they're like, okay, what, why are you motivated to sing this song instead What's of the one called? I want to like hear? Pop-up trivia or whatever? <laughs> yeah. What was that called? Pop-up pop, video pop or up something? Video. Yeah. Um, I don't do it in the middle of the song, but... I tell them a, a little vignette, a little story. This is this is where this one came from, this whatever. Not unlike this after show, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you have for me this week, Cal? Uh, I think you should sing this song, not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's You Gotta Be by Desiree. I really feel strongly about this. Um, it's just an amazing song. I heard it on the radio the other day when I was driving and have since sung it a couple times to the kids. When was it originally? Somewhere in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we had the tape. I remember it was mm-hmm. like purple, kind of purple. I think blue. We, we had separate rooms for like five minutes. And when we did, I had the tape on my little um, tape deck and I played it all the time. Like while I was like cutting out um, comic book clippings and taping them to the front of my dresser. Mm-hmm. Vaguely remember that. <laughs> She's got a beautiful voice. I didn't know she was British. Yeah. Learned that recently. Yeah. I think... Uh, the lyrics are just awesome. And I like singing songs to my kids that speak to both me and hopefully to them, you know, mm-hmm. get a little cross meaning going on. Yeah, I think you know, we don't have to say it, but I like the way she phrases things as you gotta. And it's not like you must do this, but it's just like, you gotta just keep going, just keep trying, just mm-hmm. keep moving forward with awareness. Kind of like what we talked about with Taylor. Listen as your day unfolds, challenge what the future holds, try to keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears, go ahead, release your fears, stand up and be counted, don't be ashamed to cry. You gotta be, you gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger. You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together. All I know, all I know, love will save the day. Herald what your mother said, read the books your father read, try to solve the puzzles in your own sweet time. Some may have more cash than you, others take a different view. My, oh my, hey, hey. You gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger. Gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together. All I know, all I know, love will save the day.